Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Girl, I wanna be your goddamn idol And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard For the same motherfucking title But I We interrupt your regularly scheduled podcast for an important announcement about public enemy number one. Women cry for it. Men will die for it. The dangerous marijuana. With an H. With an H, not a J, because apparently white people are too stupid to understand how J's work in non-English words. Yes. Well, I'm... (laughs) Dude, I think there's probably still, like, moms in the suburbs of Montana and Ohio who are, like, they're tortillas. Can I get a, can I get a basket of those jalapeno poppers? Gonna go to to Chipotle. Oh, my God. That's the one that, like, makes me want to rip my skin off. (laughs) It's Chipotle. Gross. Yeah. Anyway, hi. It's May Musical Month, and it's almost my birthday. So we're talking about Reefer Madness. Yes, this is the episode right before your birthday. It is. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, we're talking about Reefer Madness, and I feel like it should be obvious. That means we're talking about the 2005 musical and not the exploitation film from the 30s, but we're going to talk about them both anyway. Yeah, just... Mostly about the 2005 one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Harmony, did you know that there was a Reefer Madness musical before I showed it to you? No, I did not. This this was when you were being, like, so cool and edgy and just being like, oh, there's a musical version of this. There's a musical <laughs> version of this. Did you know there's a Debbie Does Dallas musical? There is. Yeah. And it's I've, funny. I've seen it. <laughs> I was in the Silence musical. Did you know that? Like, you were being so cool early as dating by bringing up all of these things, and I'm just like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I was really trying to impress you, and I know that selling people on musicals can be a hard sell, because most people think, like, Golden Age musicals, but then you'd be like, "Uh, actually, there's these really edgy and cool musicals, and then suddenly it opens up a lot of people's ideas of what is possible with a musical. Yeah, but, like, you, it it shows how much... Our early stage of our relationship, you had no faith in me to like musicals. I had no faith in you liking me, because I have no faith in anyone (laughs) liking me. But I I liked music. Like, dude, I came up in a... I, I was going to say household, but that's not true. Um, my my own personal household, uh, worshipping at the altar of fucking Rocky Horror. like Yeah, and you also do love Jim Steinman, and you can't like Jim Steinman and not have an affinity for the dramatics. I love I loved theatrical music. Yes, that's like, true. Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare for a period was my favorite album. And as, like, music, it 
some of the songs aren't really songs, mm-hmm. but as a, as a, as a production, <laughs> it's marvelous. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you make a very very good point. I did not have faith, and that is my fault. Yes. But... So anyway, you showed me this years ago, and then we revisited it for the podcast. There mm-hmm. we go. We came back around. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love Reefer Madness. This is one of those musicals that I think even musical theater kids, a lot of them aren't super well versed in because it is a weirdo musical it's a weird edgy musical and the fact that it got a movie musical it was made for tv for showtime is wild to me and they gave it a budget because they got they gave it a budget but also this isn't a musical that's based on like a huge existing ip like it's existing ip it's a propaganda film from the 30s mm-hmm. but it's not this like massive blockbuster that then got turned into a musical because we were tiptoeing into that territory, uh, but we weren't quite there yet. Oh, yes. So um, a fun, and by fun, I mean infuriating who's on first situation we had while we were talking about this movie after watching it was me going, BJ, what movie musicals existed at the time that were based on pre-existing movies? And you just couldn't, you had the reefer madness. You had taken an edible as you should for this experience, but you just kept missing one different detail every time you started listing films. So it's like, well, I mean, there's like Heather's and there's like Legally Blonde. I'm like, no, BJ, at the time of reefer madness. And you go, well, I mean, there's all of these productions. I'm like, no, but those aren't movies, BJ. You're not, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> It was like 20 minutes. It was so difficult. I have brain damage. Are you bullying somebody with brain damage right now, Harmony? Bullying you for being stoned (laughs) and missing details. Yeah, I was I was not getting it. And then when I finally understood what you were asking, I was like, oh. Yeah, no, there really isn't any. (laughs) There were were a couple, I think, but like they didn't make their way back around to movies at the time. Yeah. So if you've somehow not seen Refurb Madness, the movie musical, and you're not entirely sure what the propaganda film is about, we'll talk about that in a second. Here's your plot synopsis. Marijuana abuse leads a wholesome teenager, Christian Campbell, and his virtuous girlfriend, Kristen Bell, down the road to ruin. That's, that's it. literally it? Yep, that's your plot. Damn. I mean, I guess that's right, but we're missing a lot of characters and situations here. And it really does not um, <laughs> it does not go into uh, some of the more extreme depths of what this movie's doing. <laughs> it really doesn't, but I like this as a plot synopsis because it feels like this would be the plot synopsis that Alan Cumming would tell parents at a PTA meeting. Yeah, or it would just be like, with, without actors' names, this would be like the poster art. Mm-hmm. A road to ruin. (laughs) Definitely. So we got to talk about some context because (laughs) I can't believe they made a musical of this. Like, I'm so excited they did, but it's such a weird choice. Uh, So Harmony, what do you want to bring to the table this week? So as far as context is concerned, um, this is a period piece, and I think that's worth discussing. But in order to understand kind of the circumstances that makes Reefer Madness the musical... We need to talk about Reaper Madness OG. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a, a, a somewhat muddy affair because it's just old and it's not the most researching. So, like, some of these details, it's like, well, was it made in 36 or made was it made in 38? Who knows? But, like, here's the condensed version of Reaver Madness's story. Reaver Madness is produced outside the Hollywood system in, like, 1936 or 38. And it is funded by a, a church group called Tell Your Children. 
So something to point out, too, is that this was really common and went on for quite some time. Um, a contemporary example that I think people might be able to grasp is, do you remember that movie, The Amusement Park, that George A. Romero did that Shutter brought back? And everyone's like, oh, my God, the forgotten film of George A. Romero. Oh, my God, it's a masterpiece. And I was like, it's... Pretty good. I like that it exists. Right. So that film uh, was commissioned by the Lutheran Society. Yeah. So this is the thing. That's church- a slightly more contemporary version. It's from like 72. <laughs> right. Like we just, those kind of things don't super happen as much as they used to. But this was going on well into the 70s where yeah. church groups would hire directors to basically <laughs> film propaganda. Yes. And like that's what this movie is. So the closest thing we've done on this podcast to this was Pleasantville. And at the time mm-hmm. we talked about like social conditioning and mental hygiene films that were, you know, the anti-drunk driving ads or the, like, how to groom your hair, Sally, and Billy don't take heroin kind of movies. Mm -hmm. And those were, the difference between a propaganda film of this era and a mental hygiene film is those are certainly painting a picture. They're certainly trying to guide you to the perfect American citizen as, as a youth, but they do have some semblance of research. They do have some semblance of facts and their heart is kind of in the right place. It it's depends. just super implicitly biased yes. to push people towards like a white supremacist society. Yes, it's going to yeah. be a case-by-case basis as far as those particular films are concerned. Versus something like Reefer Madness, which is just lies and propaganda. <laughs> and the reason for this is it's the 1930s. Um, American society is in a depression and collapsing, as it's been known to do from time to time. Hey, we're here now. Yeah. uh, (laughs) And so evangelicals, specifically the Christians, are finding any excuse to point fingers at what the reason for that is. Mm -hmm. And in this case, they're like, ah, it's because of the marijuana. And that's the problem. That's the reason that our youth are failing and our society is crumbling. Mm-hmm. We so, are in a Great Depression because of marijuana, and Hurricane Katrina happened because of the gays. Yeah, of course. Duh. God was God was smiting us. Yep, that's just that's what he does. <laughs> right? He fucking hates us all. Yeah. So this movie ends up getting made by this church group. It gets scooped up by a uh, exploitation producer named Dwayne Esper, mm-hmm. who also uh, worked on films like Sex Maniac and marijuana, and uncredited work on Freaks. For a half second, I thought you were going to say that his name was Dwayne Johnson, because Johnson's a really common last name, and I would have been really excited. Oh my god, could you imagine? (laughs) What if his name just happens to be Dwayne Johnson? Right, like you were like, his name is Dwayne, and I was like, "Ah," and my whole body tensed up, and oh. Yeah, well, it's whenever we're scolding The Rock for being... The Rock, we we call, we call him by his far his Christian name. Got to call him by that legal name. Dwayne, what are you doing? His government name. Yes. So it gets scooped up. He puts it, recuts it, and puts it on the exploitation circuit. And something that they do around this time is uh, they, they 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 take it on the road. Mm-hmm. It becomes this traveling circus of a movie, and it does this well into the fifties. Like Reefer Madness has a very long staying power, and because it's produced outside of the Hollywood system, and because it was an educational film, it doesn't have a copyright, and because of it being labeled as a, quote, educational film, it's allowed to depict um, much more graphic and violent things than other films of its era were. Definitely. We talk about this a little bit in the Pleasantville episode with mental hygiene films. Anything that is being pitched as under like the education label or like this is a health film Mm -hmm. you can get away with a lot of stuff which is why so many like quote-unquote health films from the 70s are just 
porn. Yep. Because it's softcore, like, but yes. It's softcore, but they're like, um, we're actually educating the masses on how to fuck. Yep. So we're teaching married couples how to keep their relationship saucy. <laughs> right. And it's like, no, this is just porn, but okay. Yeah. So Reaver Madness disappears in the 50s. It, it, it falls off the aftermarket circuit that it had been thriving in for a while. Mm-hmm. It reemerges in the 70s when someone just finds it in, I believe, the Library of Congress. Mm -hmm. And this is where things get interesting because a lot of the most well-researched information about Reefer Madness comes specifically from pro-cannabis sites. Which I love. It feels like <laughs> it feels like the inverse of how the Mormon church buys ads in Broadway productions of the Book of Mormon. Yeah. That's what it feels like to me. Yes. So um, the article I'm referencing is from a site that's just called Buds. Is it with a Z? Um, no, it's with an S, but it's, ah, it's it. BudsLTD.com. Okay. Um, so in this specific article, what ends up happening is Reaver Madness reemerges as a roadshow movie. And it is taken around college campuses in the 70s. Oh, they must have loved it. As a fundraiser where you pay like a dollar to come in and they were raising money to uh, help campaign for the legalization of marijuana in the 70s. This is brilliant. And it just found new life as a midnight movie as a result. Which, when you've seen the original Reefer Madness, it was like tailor-made for midnight movie sensibilities because everyone is acting Crazy, because it's not based in reality. Mm -hmm. And, like, we, we see a lot of that referenced in the musical, but some of it is just, like, urban legends of, mm -hmm. of marijuana use, not specifically adaptations of Reefer Madness itself. Mm -hmm. And something that I want to bring up as we finish up our context on Reefer Madness 36 is that this movie is so fucking old do you want to know how old it is for context? Like, how old you, is it? You hear 36 and go, oh, that's old. Um, the talkies had been around for less than 10 years. Mm -hmm. The most profitable film in history was a different propaganda film. Um, and it had held the record for about 20 some years at this point. It was a birth of a nation. Yikes. <laughs> uh, it would not lose that record until... Gone with the Wind, a few yeah, years later. Also, yikes. Yep. Um, <laughs> Betty White could have theoretically watched this in high school. Which is... <laughs> like, we always made jokes about Betty White of like, Betty White is older than sliced bread, because she is. So when you put this in context, this movie is old. Yeah. it's it, And it like... <sighs> It makes sense in the world that it came out in when you see that, like, propaganda films, whether educational, entertainment, or exploitive, they were very, very successful. I mean, yeah, and side tangent, an exploitation film called Ingagi, which is a horrifying bit of propaganda that implies that uh, Africans are such savage people that they sacrifice women to become the sex slaves of giant apes, and it's just all in blackface, and it's absolutely awful, made so much money that it led to the green lighting of King Kong. Mm -hmm. One of the most important films in American history was only given the green light because a horribly racist propaganda film made so much money that they went, well, I guess there's something to do with these monkey films, huh? Like, yeah. fucked. Absolutely fucked. Yeah, like, 
I'm, I'm sorry if this is icky for anybody who's like not had to suffer through this in Film Studies 101 where the people go, well, you know, you have to watch Birth of a Nation at you least You fucking once. don't. You don't really. You just say all this and go, huh. Okay, and then you can move on from it. <laughs> yeah, someone can tell me this is a really important piece of film. It's just awful, and I'll go. I believe you. Yeah, and then I'll move on. I mean, propaganda films like fuck, man. Like, don't they? Don't a lot of people talk about how the Nazis were really innovative with production styles? Yes, they were, uh, and, and filmmaking styles. And it's like, well, she was a female director, and she, her style is, and, and her film techniques are miles above anything else at the time. And I go, yes, but also it's Nazi propaganda. Yeah, it's. It's fucked. <laughs> God, the first fucking early 20th century is a goddamn nightmare. Yeah, it. there's plenty of good that came out of it and also plenty of just horrors. Yeah. Just eldritch horrors. Yeah, so um, that's the world that Reefer Madness comes out. And because it is the most insane thing you can imagine and it's surrounded <laughs> by similarly kooky things, it is primed for parody. Yes, and we should definitely talk about what makes a good parody, but we will do that after everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy May Musical Month, Prom Party. We have some, we'll say, interesting things going on over at the Patreon this month. For our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes, we are doing Dear Evan Hansen, because neither BJ or I have obviously seen that, because why would we subject ourselves to it? But I'm somehow thinking, maybe it's not that bad, even if it is bad. And to offset that, we are also covering Tick Tick Boom. This month's Patreon playlist is also going to consist of covers of musical theater numbers by popular artists. And for our Musical Milestones episode... BJ made me watch a lot of stuff about Glee, and I am exhausted, and I don't know why Ryan Murphy is like this. In addition to all of that, the Patreon also gives you access to our suggestion box, BJ's monthly wellness newsletter, and it is the penultimate episode for our Freaks and Geeks revisit. It's been a wild ride, and I'm going to be sad to see it go next month. But wait, there's more. Are you tired of scrolling through the same old movies and TV shows on your streaming service? Do you want to discover new voices and stories that break stereotypes? Then it's time to join Soleil Space, the world's first truly global community streaming platform. Soleil Space is more than just a streaming platform. It's a community of people from all over the world who are passionate about authentic storytelling and promoting underrepresented voices. With Soleil Space, you can discover the world's hottest emerging filmmakers, support filmmakers from your own culture, and curate films for your community. But that's not all. With Soleil Space, you can participate in watch parties and join groups to recommend films and meet new friends who share your love of film and culture. You'll explore authentic worlds of never-before-seen, critically acclaimed films from underrepresented countries and cultures. Join the Soleil Space community today and start exploring a world of diverse, authentic stories. Visit www.soleilspace.com to start your free two-month trial for This Ends at Prom podcast listeners using promo code TEEP60. Once again, that is S-O-L-E-I-L space.com and the promo code of T-E-A-P-60. Thank you so much and back to May Musical Month. Alrighty, so 
we are currently living in an age where Broadway musicals are being just dominated by adaptations of things that are already popular. It, it seems to be going the opposite direction that things went for a long time, where if it's a really big musical on Broadway, maybe it'll get a movie version. Mm-hmm. Versus now if it's a really big enough movie that's had longevity for a long enough time, they go, well, what if we make a Broadway show of it? Yeah, that's been happening a lot more. And in some instances, I think they do a really good job. We talk about this a little bit in our Musical Month episode on Hairspray last year where Hairspray is a John Waters film Mm -hmm. that then got turned into a really flashy musical. But it makes sense because Hairspray is kind of a fantasy film. It's also really campy. Mm -hmm. That lends itself to a musical theater adaptation. And I would say something like Heathers works really well for that. Something like Legally Blonde and Beetlejuice work really well for that. Probably not so much Mrs. Doubtfire. But Robin Williams sings and dances in that one scene. He lip syncs in that one scene. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't lend itself to the the adaptation, I think, in ways people wanted to. But horror and exploitation films lend themselves really well to musical parody because laughter and fear are two sides of the same coin. The Mm -hmm. same way that you try to set up a jump scare is almost identical to the way that you would set up a punchline. It's just you're, you're going for a different emotion here. Sure. So that's why there are so many horror movie musical parodies that people love because it's, it's easy. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And exploitation films work similarly because they are using logic that is, so illogical. Like, nothing in Reefer Madness is based in reality at all. It mm-hmm. is the most extreme version of a story you could possibly tell, which means adding a song to it is not, like, you're not <laughs> pushing it much further than it already is. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a big jump. No, 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 no. So something like Reefer Madness getting a musical makes total sense to me and I think works really well because when you watch Reefer Madness... Unless you're like a puritanical anti-drug weirdo, you're probably watching Reefer Madness knowing full well, (laughs) check out this piece of shit. Yeah, I don't know if a lot of people watch this movie in earnest. No. So then when somebody's like, hey, also songs, you're already kind of bought into it. Like you don't have to suspend your disbelief any further. So it makes sense. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fun nonsense uh, in the original propaganda film to make fun of through song, which they do, which is why Reefer Madness can get away with having a song where somebody screams and then he rapes me and it's not a bad time. Like, it's obviously awful. It's it, a terrible situation. It says, the, it says rape in more than one number. Yeah, it says because, it a few times. Because, like, that's in the source material where it's like he got so high that he was going to ravage her against her will. Yeah, it because that was the thing. They were like, if you smoke weed, you're going to turn into sex maniacs. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm going to eat some Cheetos and I'm going to sleep on the couch. Yeah. Um. So because of that, Reefer Madness just feels like a good time, like when you're watching it, even though it is playing with deeply dark themes of cannibalism and sexual abuse and murder murder and drug abuse and, and prison execution. Like there's so many bad things happening, but the stakes never actually feel high because we know it's a joke and we're all in, all in on it. Well, yeah, it's it's also lampooning 
very stereotypical American culture from the 30s, but you can pretty much drag this all the way up into at least the 60s, and mm-hmm. it's not that different. Yeah, the, it's... The Leave it to Beaver world, like, that's just a certain part of America for many decades. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's borrowing from a lot of different areas, which I also think is fun, because the costumes are a little bit anachronistic. Like, some of the things that the girls are wearing look very 30s and 40s. Some of the things the boys are wearing look very 50s. Mm-hmm. But the th- nobody cares. It's like, just Americana, baby. Yeah, that's all it is. Like, this is just old school Americana. We're gonna play with all of those conventions, and everybody just sort of buys in, because mm-hmm. you have to. Like, it's so goofy. And that's why you can have these scenes with Alan coming talking to the parents. And I love that whenever he talks to the parents, it's all in black and white. I think it's just so smart. And he can say, like, horribly offensive things Mm -hmm. and make these terrible judgment calls because you know, yeah, this is how a lot of those people thought back then and were poking fun at it. Like, Are you a commie? Right. Are you a commie? Ooh, your last name, it sounds a little Polish. What's that got to be? Like, it's, No, it was, it was Russian. And he's like, well, actually, it's, it's Polish. It's like, you would say that. <laughs> right. Like, it's, it's so ridiculous because everybody watching it knows we're here to have a good time. We're here to kind of suck some of the venom out of these legitimately terrible practices that existed back then and are still existing now just with flowery language Mm -hmm. and that is is perfect for parody absolutely perfect yep all righty so now that we have set the stage let's talk about reefer madness we talk about alan cumming in the black and white wraparound segments alan cumming (laughs) is so perfectly cast in this movie to be fair alan cumming is one of those actors where he is perfectly cast in any role he plays Mm -hmm. because he can do literally anything he wants forever and it will always be good um but he's perfect in this he's so good as you know the mc of this movie that Mm -hmm. i recently saw cabaret for the first time because bj was being really bratty and was like no i don't want to watch the movie version because joel gray's fine but he's not alan cumming so for years, I go, maybe today's the one day I watch Cabaret, and you go, no, I don't want He's not Alan Cumming. <laughs> <laughs> and for the record, yes, I understand that Joel Grey is brilliant, and he is brilliant, and he's wonderful, and I love him dearly, but the MC needs to be a little bit gayer, and it just comes a little bit more naturally to Alan Cumming, so I prefer his performance. Thank you, I've said my piece. So yeah. Put your, your <laughs> fire and pitchforks away. Yes, I believe that this was like a four-year-long thing where I finally saw it, because this conversation may have came up the first time we watched I this. I think it did. <laughs> because you were just like, oh my god, he's so good as like a wraparound narrator. Mm-hmm. But he is. Um, Alan Cumming understands dry humor, and he understands camp. Mm-hmm. And he is so good. And like, I love these very uh, Twilight Zone interjections, where he just pops into frame as just like, this Rod Serling character who will just be like, ah, yes, and there's the whatever. And then he comes back as FDR. Yeah. And then continues being the narrator. <laughs> yeah. Like, Alan Cumming's so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's something else that I think that the movie does really well is that it's not afraid to be like, yeah, this is based on a musical. Like, it's not trying to do like an in the height sort of thing or a West Side Story thing. And this is no shade to those either. I love them dearly. But they 
are trying to make it be like, oh, no, this is just the reality of the world that we live in. Whereas Reefer Madness is like, no, people are going to play multiple characters and have bad mustaches and bad wigs, and you're just going to accept it. It's a lot easier to get away with that in a comedy. Yeah. People will accept that much more. Agreed, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, seeing him kind of, like, pop in and out in, like, weird characters is just, it's a great choice and yeah. really funny. <laughs> he, he's the glue that pulls this whole movie together. And I think he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think he's he's just, he's perfect. Like, you're, you're right. He brings the MC energy from Cabaret. He's also got the good dry sense of humor. He's also got the good camp sensibilities. Like, he he feels like he's playing an amalgamation of a lot of the characters he's played in the movies we've talked about on here mm-hmm. with, like, there's a little bit of Wyatt energy to him from Josie and the Pussycats. There's a little bit of his character from Spice World, a movie that we will eventually talk about once it's available for streaming. Um, you know, he's he's a little bit of Romy and Michelle, where he's just really eager. And this is just Alan Cumming. He's just being Alan Cumming. This is just he's him so doing, funny. doing his thing. Um, it, it's just someone writes into the script, Alan Cumming does Alan Cumming things. <laughs> right. Just do what you want, man. Like, yeah. you you know what you're doing. Like, he's so good. But, like, this opening number, uh, specifically the Reefer Madness theme, is such a goddamn hook. Reefer Madness, Reefer Re- Madness. Oh, Madness, my God. Reefer Madness. Eat the brownie, eat the brownie. Like, mm-hmm. it, we have been on and off just saying that for, like, at least the last week. Mm-hmm. And... Like, also, as an aside, I love this opening segment where there's zombies in the school because it's got a whole lot of, like, twisted sister Alice Cooper, be cruel to your school energy. Um, and that video is stupid fun, and I like it. But that fucking hook, like, like that that's what you want out of a good musical, right? You mm-hmm. need that one motif that's going to reemerge throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, six notes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. I also love that they play with... Uh speed on this as well and pacing mm-hmm. so you have like the very fast very frantic reefer madness reefer madness which builds a lot but then you also have creeping like reefer madness reefer madness mm-hmm. and then it becomes this like haunting thing so it's like oh you can never escape it as the democrats that empty out our scores turning all our children into The land are glazed and oversexed. If you fail to draw the line, your babies will be next. I'm also realizing now as we're talking that Alan Cumming has been present for two of the three birthday episodes for me because he's in Josie. That's true. <laughs> oh, great. That's just my birthday <laughs> thing. It's not about movies I like. It's just find another excuse to talk about Alan Cumming. Yes. <laughs> so the main story of Reefer Madness, because this is Alan Cumming telling a cautionary tale to a bunch of parents in an act of fear-mongering American hysteria. He's essentially being the narrator of the original Reefer Madness, Mm -hmm. but also blurring the fourth wall by telling a story of a movie in a movie musical based on a movie. Yes. There's there's a lot of meta stuff going on here, and it works brilliantly. Yeah. So the, the story that he is telling is about Jimmy Harper... And Mary Lane, played by Christian Campbell, yes, brother of Nev Campbell, and 
Kristen Bell. And I love them so much. This is nothing against Kristen Campbell, but fucking Kristen Bell steals this movie. (laughs) She's unbelievable in this. And Kristen Bell wasn't a super big star at the time of this release, which I think has probably put more eyes on the movie musical since its release because now she's, you know, she's, she's. Anna in in Frozen. Like, she's a Disney princess, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, she was obviously Veronica Mars. She's in The Good Place. Like, Kristen Bell is way more well-known now than she was at the time of the release. She's doing a very uh, Reese Witherspoon type of performance. Oh, yeah. Like, in Pleasantville. Yeah. Very Pleasantville. Well, aesthetically, it's like Pleasantville. Character-wise, it's closer to, like, Legally Blonde. Yeah. Because she's cute. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's so cute. Yeah. Um, just her casting is perfect. She is doing everything that she needs to. Kristen Bell has a naturally very sweet singing voice, which mm-hmm. I think is also very important for this role. But they are playing into that propaganda hand so well with her because she is like, if somebody had to draw from memory, like, who is the person that if they went missing on the news, everybody would freak out to try to find fastest? The, the all-American girl. It's going to be Mary Lane. It's going to be that girl. The one who you're going to see on a teen magazine of six different decades where she's holding her books in her cute sweater and mm-hmm. she's got maybe like a small dog on a tiny leash and she's like, look at this girl. She's going to teach you how to properly hem your skirt and do your rollers <laughs> so that you can look good for boys. Yeah. Oh, God. It's so funny. Um, so, yeah, she and Jimmy are, you know, these little teenage lovebirds. And they're Romeo and Juliet. They are Romeo and Juliet. They, they never have... finished the, the story. <laughs> no. So I love that that's how it starts, too, because, again, there's some meta stuff going on here because Romeo and Juliet um, is a play that opens with <laughs> hey these kids are gonna die by the end of the play just so you know um and well, that's half right for this movie yeah half right for this movie full right for Romeo and Juliet um because yeah they have their like little love song uh about Shakespeare and they're convinced that at the end of Romeo and Juliet they're gonna get married and have lots of babies and mm-hmm. everything's gonna be great and yeah as we all know <laughs> that's not what happens kids yeah so it's such a delightful introduction to them because you're like, oh, these precious dum-dums, they have no idea what's coming to them, which again feeds into this like cautionary tale of, oh no, these kids don't know what danger awaits them with the marijuana. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't have it be a cautionary tale if they're smart and in control. <laughs> right. They need to be foolish youths. You have to paint them as like the dumbest kids ever. Like, this is why it's so dangerous because all of your children are fucking idiots. Mm-hmm. So, Jimmy and Mary are just two wholesome American kids. And of course, that means they are ripe for corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, the corruption starts with Jimmy, who is lured to just a. a Weed den? I don't know what to call Jack and May's house. I, I mean, I don't think a weed den actually is a thing, but I'm not from the 30s, so they might just be confusing it with other kind of crack houses. <laughs> Heroin dens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so May has this, like, giant house that seems to just be where they house wayward youths who are just sex maniacs and drug addicts like with, they, the, with the weed. They get, they get them hooked on the devil's lettuce. Mm-hmm. It's to have them smoke a bunch of jazz cigarettes mm-hmm. and then somehow profit. <laughs> the 
that's the thing that they never like fully explain is like you're ruining all these kids' lives like immediately. How do you expect to profit off of them? You're dumb. I'm assuming they'll go and commit crimes, which will then be traced back to the house somehow. Um, you can you can get away with crimes a lot easier in the 30s, I guess. So that, yeah, that's how they're skating by. There's that that John Mulaney joke about bank robbers like <laughs> using bullets and putting their name in the side of the wall and then running away, and cops being like, "Well, they're gone now." Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> definitely the logic we're playing with here so yeah jimmy uh is the one who ends up getting hooked on the reefer yes and uh he he meets the the terrible people i guess none of them are terrible they're just hilarious uh the people that are living at may's house so may is anna Gasteyer. she's marvelous marvelous absolutely hilarious chewing the scenery I've, every I've seen her on the show since uh, mean girls uh-huh. Yeah. She's uh she's the mama mean girl, so another uh, appearance from her. Um there's Jack who's played by Steven Weber. I love Steven Weber. He's my favorite Jack Torrance. Um and Stephen King's, I guess too. But um oh, from the 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 TV adaptation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he he's Jack. He is the one who's kind of running the drug ring. He's the big baddie, so to speak. He is the living embodiment of Yasing. So yeah. uh <laughs> love that. Love that a lot. Um, the other people that are living in the house, we have uh, John Kassir as Ralph. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ralph is the college boy who was doing good things, and then, oh, he got hooked on that reefer, and now his whole life is ruined. Uh, if you don't know, John Kassir's the Crypt Keeper. It makes it really obvious he's the Crypt Keeper, because we see him so early in this movie, and he's just cackling. Yeah, he's just doing the laugh. It's just like, oh, yeah. And John Kassir, uh, I think he originated this role. If not originated it, he was like the second person to play it, but he plays played this role a lot Mm -hmm. so it makes total sense why he's in the movie i have heard some people complain they're like he seems a little bit too old for this role who cares who fucking cares just let him do what he wants he's like one of the guys from old school maybe Mm -hmm. yeah he went back to college (laughs) right and then we have uh amy spanger as sally um amy spanger originated the role of susan in tick tick boom um so she's fantastic she's a a wonderful musical theater person so seeing her here is delightful i love it when movie musicals have hybrid casting where they do have a couple of people who are well known that are going to draw in the people who might not know anything about it because oh i recognize them i'll see this that's that's why nev campbell gets really high billing in this movie (laughs) yeah nev campbell as miss poppy is super high billing but it's because she's nev campbell (laughs) yeah i think the credits are alphabetical which would make sense but like (laughs) She gets, like, third billing in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's in a lot of the marketing thing, too. It's like, and Nev Campbell. And it's like, she's here for a scene. A single scene. <laughs> but, yeah, like, Stephen Weber and Anna Gasteyer, like, they all have theater backgrounds, too. So it also makes sense why they are here. Mm-hmm. But I think that in recent years, we've been seeing kind of a boom of, oh, wait, theater performers are really, really good. Like, we're seeing that with a lot of, like, the Hamilton cast have all been going off and, like, doing their own thing and having really successful careers post-Hamilton in film and television because, yeah, they're good and people love them, so Mm -hmm. just give them more work. And we're kind of seeing that here, which I really, really like. Um, So that's kind of like our core group of people that we're dealing with. Um, There's a lot of weird song and dance numbers where suddenly Jesus is here Mm -hmm. or Pan. Or it's animated. Or it's animated or the Statue of Liberty is singing. Like there's a lot of goofy, goofy theater bullshit going on, which I absolutely love. 
And in my brain, I was like, oh, and Barry Bostwick shows up. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's a different, that's FDR American badass. He does not show up at the end of this movie. But in my mind, he showed up at the end of this movie. <laughs> it would be really funny, though, if he did, if he's played FDR in two movies. I would love that. And also, that would make perfect sense to put Barry Bostwick in this movie. It really does. I mean, he's he's Brad. Yeah. So he can he can do what he wants. Yeah. So since this is just a cautionary tale movie there are a lot of weird set pieces and (laughs) i want to talk about that so when jimmy takes his first hit it's also like a borderline orgy that he's walked into and Mm -hmm. of course because it's the 30s and it's a parody film it's not actually an orgy nobody in this movie fucks naked everybody is fully clothed yeah (laughs) so like sex is like Somebody with their pants still all the way on. Not even like underwear, like pants still on. And someone's just on top of them gyrating. And it's like, oh my God, can you imagine? Look at the sex. Or or fucking Mary Lane getting so hyped up after her dominatrix scene with John Kassir that she like very rigidly dry humps his leg. <laughs> Shut up, bitch. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. She's, it's- just, she's just like, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like the motion is just very um it's like you're it's like you're trying to strike a match. <laughs> it's very very quick. Yeah. Like so everybody in the movie is having the time of their life playing with how ridiculous this shit is. Oh, of course. Um which makes it so much more fun to watch because you know, yeah, like getting so high that you feel like, oh, I need to sexually assault somebody. Like that is terrifying. That is a terrifying thought. But instead of leaning into the terror of something like that and letting it have any basis in reality at all, they're like, no, we're going to hump with clothes on because like this isn't real. Mm -hmm. This is a joke. That's not what happens. So we're not going to even humor the idea of that being a possible reality because it's fucking not. No, this movie doesn't even really play with that many weed stereotypes mm-hmm. where, like, there, there, there's an alluded to uh, urban legend of, like, the woman who gets so high that she's like, I'm going to make a roast and puts a baby in the oven. Mm-hmm. I think that's an urban legend. It's not in the original Reefer Madness, I don't think. I think it is in one of these other propaganda films, yeah. though, because they do borrow some stories from other whack-ass propaganda films yeah but reefer madness is the one that people know the most so of course that's the title sure so that's not here and like the munchies and i'm gonna make a whole ass roast while high which i definitely know some friends who make full meals while stoned um but that doesn't happen instead she accidentally almost lights the baby on fire yeah, she uh, she puts the, the little uh, bassinet on top of like an open flame on the stove and forgets about it because she's too high. The baby's fine. Yeah, this is a... This the baby is just disappears in the movie at some point. But, yeah, we just uh, stopped talking about the baby. <laughs> at some point they just go, the baby's been really quiet today. And she goes, yeah. And then we never <laughs> talk about it again. Which I mean, in a movie like this, you don't have to. But yeah, the uh, the baby roast is a hippie babysitter urban legend it's been around forever so sure. it's really funny and i did realize i had a little bit of a mandala effect because of this musical in my brain i was like oh yeah this is in the original reefer madness no it's not mm-hmm. it's not in there i just have watched this so many times that i just accepted that that it was probably in there same with the zombies i was like i feel like that's in there too it's not i don't know why no cannibalism is not in the original <laughs> movie no but the manic laughter is so one of the things that i love about 
reefer madness is the idea that you take one hit and suddenly like everything is ruined forever. Mm-hmm. You suddenly have bags under your eyes. You can't stop laughing. You have to eat everything uh, because it's also not how that happens. Like I take edibles every night because I need something to calm my brain down so I can go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And my laughter does not sound like the crypt keeper. No, you, you get like, if anything, very, uh, you get a snort laugh. I do get a snort Like, if I really get you, um, (laughs) like, the time where we talked about, like, (laughs) what, what, what if it's, uh, what if in Silence of the Lambs, (laughs) what if in Silence of the Lambs it's written, uh, it's it's written as cunt because Jodie Foster would say pushy. (laughs) (laughs) He shit. He shit he could smell my pushy. Um, I was crying. The first time that happened, um, you were dead for like 25 minutes because it would calm down and then you'd think about it again and you'd be like, it hurts. <laughs> so it was most of the really time, funny. most of the time you don't get like hysterical cackling laughter. No, usually I'm just kind of like, <laughs> like that's the extent of my yeah. laughter. I watch Bluey and just go. <laughs> yeah. I love Bluey. I'm glad that you're finally being honest about Bluey rather than being like, no, no one can know I watch this as an adult. <laughs> See, all of Reefer Madness could have been prevented if they just had a visit from Janet and Rita, like the grannies. They would have been fine. Grannies on the bus? Grannies on the bus. It's my been fine. favorite fucking episode. <laughs> it's so funny. It's art. It's high art. <laughs> yeah, so they, they have the manic laughter. That is a very, very common thing. Um, we have May being somebody who puts up with abuse because she just needs the drug so bad that she's willing to accept being abused. Mm-hmm. And like, again, she needs her fix. There are horror stories out there from people who do have substance abuse issues or who do have really awful drug addictions that do experience terrible things in order to maintain their addiction because that's how it works. But it's harder stuff. But it's harder stuff. It's stuff that changes your brain chemistry. It's not stuff it's that not you can't fucking actually... weed. Yeah, you can't, like, get addicted to weed the way that you do, um, I don't know, cocaine. Right. Like, no, I can open my phone right now and order weed to have delivered to my door by a very cool hipster who's going to compliment the movie posters on our wall once I open the door right now. Like, in this episode, I could do that Right now. It's just because we live in California. <laughs> or is, that, is that what the right wing people called California? I don't remember. I don't remember either. a bunch of dumbass names. <laughs> but like, that's what we're talking about here. Like, this drug that they are painting as like the world's worst, most dangerous thing, I can order with an app on my phone. Like, mm-hmm. it's not... It's not dangerous. Like, it can be abused dangerously the same way that alcohol and any other drug can, for sure. But that's not gonna happen no, that, like reefer madness is ridiculous that, that's a story for like a couple episode arc of freaks and geeks mm-hmm. which we just got to this month on the patreon yes so like that's that's for that right it's not for this yeah. which like <laughs> here, here's the thing that i kind of do love as an interesting point that is not what the movie's really going for which is that um teens don't have a good idea of how to do drugs it, it was certainly when they start where you get people who are like, I don't know, 15 years old and who have no tolerance for, for weed and will just smoke and go way over where they should and then see the fucking light of God and it's actually just a Pepsi machine. Like, they will have these giant mind-blowing experiences 
that they can't process in their little teenage brains. Mm -hmm. And then they will become the most insufferable person to be around unless you are (laughs) equally as high. Yeah. (laughs) And so, like, I understand, like, I guess in, in a very, very, very loose sense to this movie, how you can be young and go over the limit on what you should be doing with weed and, like, mm-hmm. the experience and the necessity for it. Mm-hmm. But that's not what this movie's doing. No, 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 no. And because this is parroting propaganda, there is a very obvious Christian lean to it, and they present it in ways that are so funny. Uh, you know, we have Mary Lane singing My Lonely Pew about, like, being mm-hmm. sad that he's not sitting with her at church. Uh, great. Uh, listen to Jesus Jimmy. Also, like a very catchy number that'll get stuck in your head for days. Mm-hmm. Where Jesus is like super hot and really sexual. <laughs> um, but it's listen to Jesus Jimmy. Like just very very fun. I haven't seen a Jesus like this since Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> for real though. Um, so like those scenes are just super fun and ridiculous. And like you said, the animation for the brownie scene, it looks a lot like the characters that John K from Ren and be also John Kay's a problem. That's its own discussion. Fuck John Kay. Fuck John Kay. But it's that sort of style that he used to do for like the log and like Mr. Toastman it's, segments. It's very um, Tex Avery. It's very old school. It's yeah. Borderline rubber hose. Yeah, yeah. It's the the evolution of rubber hose. So it's it's really funny. But uh, <laughs> the things that happen once weed is brought into the equation. Um, you know, Jimmy gets addicted. He stops going to school. He uh, alienates his family. He starts sleeping with Sally. Um, Mary Lane comes to try to, like, help him, save him, figure out whatever. She tries weed, um, gets cross-eyed in a very hilarious moment that gets gift all the time. Chris- mm-hmm. Kristen Bell's incredible. It turns her into a sex fiend. She assaults Ralph. Dangerous sex fiend. Dangerous she's sex into, fiend. She's into kink now. This, okay. Respectfully, I am saying this with all the respect for the artistry of Kristen Bell. Oh my God. Right? When she is in the kink scene, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. She, <laughs> she is so hot. She's, she's really, she's really doing something, huh? Oh my God. Yeah. It's yeah, one yeah. of those things where like you watch it and I was like, I don't want to think of Kristen Bell in this way. I like her. And it, then you see that and you're like, Phew. Well, especially because she doesn't tend to do sexy in a lot of roles. She's like cute. Yeah. I mean. Just cute or just like not even particularly sexual roles. Or even the roles, because I would say that like her role in The Good Place, like she's open about her sexual exploits. She's vulgar, but she's not sexy. Yeah, she's vulgar, but she's not like sexy. Like she's not doing like seduction, I guess Mm -hmm. is the way to put it. Um, So seeing her do this, it's like, whoa, okay. That's an interesting flavor on you. I like it. I feel a little Yeah. I'll tie you up with bone cord. We'll play with whips and nipple clips and candle wax. Now hold on, merry sunshine. Let's not get carried away. Just call me Mary Wana. And Mary's got some scary little games to play. I'll lather you up. Give you a shake. And, and just think, all of that could have been avoided if Jimmy actually did turn his life around and at, the, at the end of what I assume is the first act and didn't eat the brownie. I know. 
He he had a chance to get out, but nah. A moment on the lips, a lifetime on the you're gonna kill your girlfriend. <laughs> he didn't. He just gets framed for it. Yeah, that's very true. So yeah, so after all this madness and and everything is after wild, all this reefer madness, all this, all this reefer madness, uh, you know, Jack and and Jimmy kind of square off, and there's a fight for a gun, and <laughs> Mary Lane gets shot, um, and we get the reprise of. <laughs> The Shakespeare song where he fully lies to her and is like, yep, Romeo and Juliet, they get married in front of all their friends and they have lots of babies and everything is great. And everyone in the room is just like, no, 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 that's 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 not not how it happens. (laughs) And uh, so she dies. And because he was in such a uh, haze, Jack frames him for murder. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, you killed her. Yeah, you were so high, you killed her. You just, sorry. That's just what happens when you smoke weed sometimes. You just kill your girlfriend. Yep. (laughs) And because it's the 30s, they're like, Jimmy's going to jail tomorrow and then going to be executed the next day. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's how things work. Because back in the 30s, we truly understand how to spend taxpayer dollars. We're not going to let some man rot on death row for 25 years. The American public is paying for that. (laughs) So ridiculous. So obscene. So, yeah, Jimmy gets sent to jail. Uh, May finally has a change of heart and is like, nope, this is terrible. Oh, also, Ralph sees zombies at some point. And he's he's, he's losing it. He's losing it. He's losing it. His he's, munchies get too bad. He's, he's got to eat somebody. He's too burnt out. Yeah, I do love him eating people and the like the very plastic, cheap, like, limbs. Halloween decorations. Oh, yeah. I love when Halloween decorations are just used as stand-ins and nobody acknowledges it. They're just like, yep, this is what it is. It works uh, in a movie. Like, again, in a comedy, especially a comedy musical, it's like, mm-hmm. no, you can get away with stuff like that. Yeah. So then he eats Sally. Yep, he eats Sally. R.I.P. R.I.P. Sally and your makeup that looks remarkably similar to how Pink did her makeup during this era. It really does. You have like the same face because mm-hmm. they painted you the same way. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, but May, luckily, uh, <laughs> while covered in blood, uh, <laughs> notices that FDR's in the, in the area that week. Just It's very convenient. Doing presidential tour stuff. Yeah. And uh, she, gets, she gets him to approve... A pardon for for Jimmy, and then there's a, a rousing song and dance number in the jail with the Statue of Liberty and John Cassier as Uncle Sam, and it's just so obscene and wonderful. It's Jailhouse Rock, but not. Yeah, it's Jailhouse Rock, but better. I said what I said. You said it. I said it. I I'm not taking it back. Yeah, I mean. Also, Mary Lane gets to be an angel. Yeah. Like, she just gets to personify what she's been this entire movie. And Amy Spanger makes a fucking great Statue of Liberty. Yeah, she really there's, does. There's a freeze frame of her on the in the uh, in the credits, I think, where it's just like, that's America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really just such a funny and ridiculous movie. And it has really good commentary. It obviously does not go into the depths of, like, what the war on drugs would do. It does acknowledge that a major factor in the drug war is Americans being terrified of black people. Mm -hmm. Um, They play with that, like, multiple times. Jazz. They just say jazz. Which Which comes around also in in Schmigadoon. Yeah, we finished uh, Schmigadoon Season 2, Chicago, which if you haven't seen, uh, you need to. Alan Cummings in that, too. He's great. He's a Sweeney Todd character. Yeah. (laughs) But they... uh, they have a running gag on there that if you have committed a crime or like you killed someone, just blame it on jazz. You were corrupted by jazz. You were corrupted by jazz because, God, this country is so unserious <laughs> with like, like 
the dumbass shit that we let fly historically. Like what? What I think it's in this movie where they say that weed slows your brain down and then it lets you hit notes with different tempos and inflections than the normal American public can handle. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Um, because ultimately, th- uh, this is unserious. Like, you're not supposed to take this seriously if you're trying to look for some, like, more important, you know, educational insight. It, it's not there. The it's- commentary is there, but... It's uh, not really there. The commentary on this, I, to me, is way less about weed and way more about how easily bamboozled a, a terrified public can be. Mm-hmm. And how, in hindsight, we look at this and we're like, how the fuck did people believe in this? Like, why did people genuinely think this is how things were? Why did anyone get scared of this? And, you know, that's just kind of an introduction to a friend, Chelsea Weber Smith, on American Hysteria. There's... Countless episodes that will explain to you why the American public is so easily bamboozled by the dumbest shit imaginable. Well, yeah, and if you really want to, like, look at how things are around this time, like, there was a period where people thought a train in a movie theater was going to hit them. Mm. Like, I think the the newness of cinema and the lack of understanding that a lot of people have with movies because they don't go that often because they're not that many movies to go see mm-hmm. sort of puts this in seeing is believing mm-hmm. you saw it in a movie it's got to be real right i or read it on the internet it has to be true. it'll convince you that it's real at yeah. the very least i i think that's part of it um also just like the way that this works so well is that there is a wraparound narrative mm-hmm. you're you're showing the movie you're seeing in color. Mm-hmm. They're showing that version of that movie to some scared parents in like a social studies class on a stormy Wednesday night. And they go, oh no. And anybody who pushes back and is like, mm, I don't know about that. You know, one of my, my wife's friends had problems with heroin. Heroin and- is kid stuff compared to weed. <laughs> right. It's so just bananas, but you you can kind of see how this happens because, yeah, there were people who would speak up and they got smacked down, which is why it's important that we all yell as loud as we can. That, we, that we're united. That we are united because otherwise we will get smacked down. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that Reefer Madness for me is just such a great example of... Of the power of parody and how kicking something out at the knees and just making fun of it can work. Mm-hmm. Like there is effectiveness. Like I'm not trying to say that like bullying works. Like that sounds terrible. But in this instance, it, it does. <laughs> like, you, you, you know what movie does? we need to take down a peg as a society? Reefer Madness. It's headed for too good for too long. <laughs> right. That movie that everyone calls one of the worst things ever made. Oh my God. We really need to take it off its high horse. <laughs> right. But, like, I, I think that's kind of how this movie is as deep as you need it to be and how you can repurpose art. Like, that's what the original movie was. It was repurposing something that was supposed to be sincere almost immediately into something that was mm-hmm. insincere. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, it's not based in reality. Like, it's just too far-fetched. It's too ridiculous. It's, it's too melodramatic. It's too melodramatic. Like, you cannot take it seriously. You have to kind of take the piss out of it. And this takes the piss out of it in brilliant, hilarious ways. And it's just so fun. I love a movie that is just fun. And this is a great one. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's time for parents to take a stand For the preservation of this great land Till the things that scare us are burned on 
wait. So I guess my question for you as we sort of approach the end of this episode is, BJ, how does Reefer Madness scan today? How, how, does, how does the musical movie, or even I guess the original, but more specifically the movie we're talking about today, how does it scan today as like commentary on America? It's alarming that this is from 2005 and it still feels fresh and unique because people are still dumb as hell. Like it, I think it's added another level of ridiculousness because marijuana is legal in a lot of states. So it's not so much a boogeyman as it once was. And we can poke more fun at marijuana being a boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is almost alarming in its accuracy because we're watching people get caught up in these moral panics now just with like trans people. Like if somebody made a propaganda film about kids being cats and having litter boxes in schools, I would believe it. Like, I, mean, I wouldn't believe that it's actually happening, but I would believe somebody would be that fucking ridiculous to be like, we need to warn people. I'm well, making a movie. I mean, that's that, that's what Fox News is, isn't it, right? It's it exploitation. It really is. Like, you, there, there have been so many horrible situations of, like, people turning around in someone's parking lot and then a crazed old man coming out and just being like, I have to stand my ground. Mm-hmm. And then they find out that, like, the Fox News logo is burned forever into the bottom corner of his screen because he just has it on all day, every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that is what our modern exploitation is, mm-hmm. and it's significantly more dark and almost to the point of uh, you can't parody it anymore. It, par- it feels beyond parody. Like those situations feel beyond parody because the debate, which shouldn't be a debate, it's not a debate. It's just people being wrong freaking out and having moral panics about the existence of trans people in this country. Like it feels like similar rhetoric to what we saw with like the weed panic and the reefer madness panic, because the arguments people bring up are insane and they're not based in reality. We need to have something specific to blame for the fall for the, for the decline of Western civilization every like 15 years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, Or honestly, lately it's like, well, what, what can we get away with? And I think that having this be a period piece, like an ambiguous period piece, it's the 30s, but it's like kind of all the way up into the mid 60s. But but having this be set when it is, is I feel like one of the only ways you could even tell a story like this now, mm-hmm. because I'm not sure that you can get away with doing a more modern parody in any capacity like this, because it just gets sad. Or at, the very yeah. least, or at the very least, you're just repeating things that people already agree with. You're not saying anything new. You're just like... It's confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. It's it's preaching to the choir. Like yeah. the lines are drawn in the sand, my friend. Yeah, the fact that this is a period piece, it does allow a little bit of distance because then people can enjoy themselves to be like, Haha, they were so stupid back then. And then you turn on your TV and it's like, oh no, we're we're that stupid now. It's yeah. just we've changed subjects. Yeah, like with with the wraparound plot of this movie, which I think is like the strongest element of it not because it's like the most enjoyable part or just because alan Cumming is like pure fucking charisma but because it justifies the movie so much more mm-hmm. because it's not about like oh hey here's some lies about weed that we all know are lies the actual political commentary is coming from how those black and white scenes are addressing the film mm-hmm. i think that those are the most profound and effective 
parts of the uh, as far as as far as like commentary is concerned. Yeah. Because our modern policies on weed is like well the thing we're fighting for now is that like people shouldn't be in jail for minor drug possessions for like 25 years whilst other people can go and become millionaires selling weed and making it right. their brand. It's like that that's our current take. Yes. And this movie has nothing to say about that. In the slightest, because it's not trying to, and it's not supposed to. Right, because we also, when this was made in 2005, we weren't there yet. Yeah. So this is an assessment on the panic around weed, period. Just like weed in general. It's not about police reform. It's not about... It's, about, it's just about American hysteria, as it were. Yeah, it's about American hysteria. That, that's what I think the commentary of this film is doing, and doing very, very well. Mm-hmm. Less than... And weed is just merely the vehicle to get there. Totally. It's not saying anything about weed. Yeah. It's, it's more so saying things about... The people who bought into this and how it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. and also the cautionary tale of just because somebody holds a meeting or just because somebody is standing behind a podium does not mean that what they're saying is right. But he seems so trusting and professional. You should be interrogating this. He's on a podium though. (laughs) He was, he has a pointer. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a little a presentation. He brought a whole presentation. He brought a movie harmony. Yeah. He must be right. It's like when you see people with like ludicrously long threads going like, "Mm, here's the thing of why this is wrong. And it's like, just because you said a lot of stuff doesn't mean you're saying anything. (laughs) Well, and I feel like parallels can be drawn to real life right now with the amount of people that are like, well, Elon Musk is one of the richest men in the world. So clearly he knows what he's talking about. No, he doesn't. He's dumb as fuck. I mean, Money that, does not equal intelligence. No, but there are people that think that, though. Oh, I know. Like, I've had many arguments with many old people, specifically when I used to work at a vintage store and I was forced to, to deal with them and a lot of bad opinions. Like, back in my day, you'd never... You, when you went downtown, you wore your Sunday best. Now people are wearing pajamas out. And I was like, yeah, tell me more about it, old man in a t-shirt. You're, <laughs> you look so nice. You're just You're really dressed to the nines when you left the house today. So, so like, it's just like fucking the pot calling the kettle something you boil water in or whatever. Right. But um, I used to have to deal with this shit all the fucking time where Trump is a billionaire. Therefore, he must be a genius. He made money. And I'm like, it's really telling how much status you apply to money in terms of intelligence. Capitalism has rotted everyone's brains. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We're We're... we're, we're we're sort of talking about the thing, but we're also kind of just getting off the trail a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But I think uh, I think I think that this movie has a lot more to say in a modern context than people might give it credit for, mm-hmm. because most people would just go, "Look, it's silly," but it's like, no, but like, it's saying something. It is saying something, and the stuff that it is actually commenting on about American culture that holds up very well. Well, especially when you think about the finale, right? So a lot of people think that the the scene in the jail, like, oh, we're done now. And it's like, nope, we got one more song. And in the finale, the audience joins the film cast that are suddenly like merging into this real world. And they have an anti-reefer book burning pledge mm-hmm. um, because of course we are. And hey, that's a thing that's still relevant because book burning is still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the finale, they bring up that we need to be fighting against marijuana. We need to be fighting against underage non-marital marital sex. We need to be fighting against racial and ethnic minorities uh, because otherwise the country is going to go to hell in a handbasket. Mm-hmm. And that is the the message of this is that it's pointing out and it's not just weed. 
it's everything. Like they are fighting against everything because they're idiots and you should not listen to them. Like that is very much the takeaway message of this is that if people are making propaganda or if people are trying to tell you, hey, this is bad and you should be scared of it, specifically that you should be scared of it, mm-hmm. you should probably not fucking listen to it. You should at the very least interrogate it. Yeah. Um, so, so speaking of this finale, like it's this movie is like kind of difficult for us to discuss as like a a linear thing over the course of the episode because most of the best moments of it are like, dude, look at that. (laughs) Just like that, that that little two second joke where someone gives like a fucking sneer or there's like a little background joke Mm -hmm. or there's a throwaway line. It's like these many, many, many little zinger little moments Mm -hmm. during the book burning when they're doing all that, it cuts to like (laughs) a couple black people and they're just like, Oh no, what, what, what did we walk into? Yeah. They go outside, (laughs) they see it coming and they like, grab their kids and walk the fuck away. Uh-huh. They're like, Mm-mm, we're leaving. This is bad. Yeah. And like, it is it's, one of those like. It's such a fucking good, it's like quick joke that they throw in the end of this movie. And, uh, but like the, 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 cause it's, it's a silent joke. It's a visual joke. Uh-huh. But the second it happens, you're like, I know exactly what is happening. I know exactly why this is here. This is, this is the acknowledgement of like, yeah, all those people who perpetuate all these fear mongering and all that bullshit. They're literally dangerous. They fucking killed people over this. They're dangerous. Don't go near them. Don't listen to them. Mm. Which I think is like very, very smart. Again, this parody is smart commentary. And I think that's also speaks to just the the perks of having source material because mm-hmm. this this was a musical in the '90s before it got made into a movie. Mm-hmm. So like they had time to really, really, really hammer out some dings on this on the way. And, and I think that they have. Um, shout out to the Blank Canvas Theater in Cleveland who did a production of this a few years ago. It was fucking hilarious. Um, had an absolute blast watching it. Um, and it's pretty, pretty close to the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, if you see somebody doing a live production of it, know that it's following the movie, like, pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I guess I should say the movie follows the script pretty damn close. Um, but it's, it's enjoyable and it's a delight. And so fucking stupid and great and on that note reefer madness is asking you to the prom harmony is it a yes a no a maybe or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own i think that this is a super fun movie it's mm-hmm. a super fun musical and it's a good musical for people who don't like musicals also oh yeah so like i know that like i kind of was roasting you at the start of the episode where it's like yeah um here here's me trying to test the waters with you as far <laughs> as musicals are concerned i mean this is you've got good taste this is a good one for introducing people who probably are not super into musicals into it mm-hmm. um no this gets a yes for me uh i i think that we as two depressed anxious people in our current state of affairs definitely had a, a lot of a lot of allegories Mm-hmm. To our current societies that we painted mm-hmm. with this, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that we, I'm, I'm sure that we wouldn't be the only ones, and that came out in us like <laughs> getting on some soapboxes to rant, rant about how the the right wing Christian fascist nightmares that are existing in our country have always been a problem, and they're bleeding over into everything, and mm-hmm. just yeah, it mm-hmm. bled, bled into our conversation more than I was prepared for, but like. I don't know. It is making political commentary. It's mm-hmm. making social commentary. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it's as deep as you want it to be, I suppose. It's one of those yeah. movies. Yeah, which I, I like movies like that. Um, and I, I think this is a good one. Because if you don't want to get that deep into it, it's just a good fucking time. You can just get high and have fun. Mm-hmm. And you be can, like. And this is fun sober, too. Yeah. It's funny sober. It's great. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I love it so much. And I love all of you at home listening to us and, and celebrating this film and my birthday. So I appreciate you. you By can... the time this comes out, it won't be BJ's birthday yet, but no. it'll be coming down the pipeline. It'll be coming. Yeah. And on that note, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. I have not been posting hardly anything. because. No. I'm just full of, I'm full of a lot of dread if that didn't come across in this episode clearly enough and I'm just recoiling from the world <laughs> online, so yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, I'm just tweeting into the void hoping it makes the pain stop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, but thank you also to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Tidal as our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to listen to this week inspired by Reefer Madness? So I needed something theatrical. Something in a in a rock vein with some theater kid energy, but not like musical theater energy, but like influence of that. So the person I'm shouting out this week is Jaden Wark and the album The Vision is Dead. Uh, I didn't realize this when I was listening to this album because I was like, oh, no, this is a really solid, like independent production. Um, this is made by like an 18 year old at home. What? Yeah, this album that I was playing you, it's made by a by a, li- a literal teen and it's got super good production quality for what it is. It really does. I think that it is very fun. Uh, we're bouncing between like tempos, genres, dynamics, all in the course of like one song. So if you like maybe more uh, theatrical modern music, like maybe The Black Parade or that first Panic! at the Disco album or something like Will Wood, some, something that can jump around and experiment with, with sounds whilst having big feelings, this is a really, really good album for you. Amazing. And yeah. what is that called again? That is The Vision is Dead by Jaden Wark, and it came out, like, just this year. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, friends. We will see you next time. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. children enjoy jazz music? Reefer slows down the smoker's sense of time, allowing him to squeeze in unnecessary grace notes, giving this voodoo music the power to hypnotize white women into indulging in acts of unspeakable degradation. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.